Good morning. Welcome to Burlington Baptist Church. I add my welcome to the chorus of those I hope you received on your way in. I'm uh, glad you're here. Consider it an honor, frankly, that you've come to spend this hour with us, maybe an hour and a half, who knows. Uh, and uh, I'm expecting about what God's going to do in our lives because we're here, and I know that He has you here for a reason. Uh, you'll find in the pew in front of you a connection card. And on that connection card, uh, you'll see a place where you can offer information to our staff. And if there's a decision on your heart or prayer need, be sure you use that card and give it to one of us uh, on your way out of the sanctuary today. We've been talking about prayer and not just uh, ordinary prayer. Uh, we have been in a series entitled The Circle Maker, which concludes by the way today, and talking very specifically about intensifying, about uh, praying through things, about really meaning and, and being diligent and persistent and, and, and pursuing uh, God's will and listening for promptings of the Spirit. And so when I say prayer, I don't want you to, to just think I've come to hear a sermon about having a conversation from time to time with God because it's much bigger than that, much deeper than that, much more powerful than that. Uh, we're going to look today at the difference, uh, the contrast between how we pray generally and how we should pray about prayers that... Uh, are not likely to touch the heart of God over against prayers that will change our lives because God moves upon them. And I want you to think honestly about how you pray. I want you to evaluate with uh, uh, no partiality to yourself. Don't you always give yourself a break? Anytime I analyze myself, I look much better than I really do. And I expect we're all that way. But I want you to think about what your prayer life consists of. About prayers that have been answered. Prayers that you're waiting to hear from God on. About whether or not when you enter into conversation with God, if it's about things that really matter. I want you to think about whether or not God's ever worked a miracle in your life or through your life. About, do you pray for things that only God can do? Or do you pray about things that you could do yourself without His help? A lot of questions to answer, but I think all of them will crystallize. And I think when you leave here today, you'll have an idea about what you can do to grow closer to God through prayer. We're going to begin this morning by uh, looking at a couple of videos. One of these videos are, uh, I guess, Hollywood's version of prayer. And the other is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? That place where Jesus took His disciples on the night of His arrest. They had been in the upper room. They had had a party, a worship time really, and then he took his disciples with him to a place of prayer. Uh, you'll see in the scripture that there were some who slept and there were some who prayed. And that there was one who prayed as if his life depended on it. And you'll see the intensity of that prayer. But I want you to watch this video first, and I want, just be honest, do you see yourself in this video? Is this how you pray? Are you this unprepared? Is it this unimportant to you? Watch carefully. Ease our suffering, and this is our moment of great despair. Yea, admit this good and decent woman into thine arms and the flock in thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he laid us down behind the band of the Canaanites. And yea, though the Hindus speak of karma... Clark! I implore you, 
give her, give her a break. Clark! Baruch Hallelujah! Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. Amen. Dear eight pound, six ounce, Newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. What is it? How is it around your dinner table when you pray? I want you to contrast this as Jesus prays in the garden. Scripture reads this way in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and He told His disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He plunged into an agonizing sorrow. An agonizing sorrow. And he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. And going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, My Father, is there any way? Get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, you, what do you want? When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. 
And he said to Peter, can you not stick it out with me for a single hour? Stay alert, be in prayer, so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. There is a part of you that's eager, ready for anything in God, but there's another part that's as lazy as a dog sleeping by the fire. And he left him a second time, and again he prayed, My Father, if, if there's no other way than this, drinking this cup to die, I'm ready. Please do it your way. When he came back, he found them again sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. And this time he let them sleep on and went back a third time to pray, going over the same ground one last time. And when he came back the next time, he said, are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? My time is up. The Son of a Man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us the wisdom to catch just a little bit of the passion the anguish of soul, of the great intensity and need, urgency that Jesus prayed with. In your name. Foundational question to what we're going to look at today is simply this. What would happen in your life if you prayed like Jesus prayed? What would God do differently in your life if you had that same kind of intensity and passion? How would your life be different if you felt that powerful of a connection? If, if, if there were things on your heart, burdens, fears, failures, and you poured yourself out as an offering to Him? What if you prayed like Jesus prayed that fateful night in the Garden of Gethsemane? What if you prayed with intensity and urgency? What if the, your prayer life was, was marked not with going through the motions and just talking to God casually, but what if there were things that you felt so powerfully that you couldn't even utter the words? What if there were things that were so crucial and important in your life that when you talked to God, tears poured from your face? In Luke's Gospel, it says the tears that poured from the face of Jesus in Gethsemane were bloody. What if you had that much desire to touch God? To hear from God? Now I understand that not every day is that kind of day in our lives. But many are, aren't they? I'm certain that there are many of you who sit in this place today with a burden, with heaviness, with, with, with a fear of what might lie ahead. I'm sure that many of you sit in this room today with, with unconfessed garbage in your life. Many of you sit in this room today and, and you know God is out there and you know that He he, he's created you and you have an inkling that He loves you, but you feel so distanced from Him and your faith and your trust is waning. And so there, in all of our lives, our times, our days, that the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed, the passion with which He prayed, the urgency with which He prayed, 
They should show up as we talk to Him. I'm afraid that far more often we're a lot like Chevy Chase. We just pray because we're supposed to. Something has happened. We don't really expect God to do much about what we're talking about. We don't really, really, really burn with concern over that which we're praying. Kind of human nature. Somebody comes to you and, and, and they, they ask a favor. And if they just say, hey, would you do this for me? It would be good if you did. You might respond to that. But if someone comes to you and there's tears in their eyes and, and, and there's sorrow and anguish on their face and there's passion in their request, it gets you here, doesn't it? Amen? What might happen if we prayed that way more often? Also, I think really clearly in the text, you see the intimacy that Jesus and the Father had with one another. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I ever really feel that same level of intimacy, that same level of comfort. Even though it was a, a horrible subject to talk about, there in Gethsemane, you could see the connection, and feel and sense that connection between Father and Son. It's a practical conversation. And, and I dare say that while there are times that the intensity level ought to be that high, it's also just as vitally important to know intimately who you're talking to. To know the heart of God, the ways of God, the nature of God to understand your relationship with Him and how He loves you so entirely and completely and unconditionally. So you can talk to Him and understand His language and know His heart. I, uh, being a father, understand that there are conversations between children and fathers that happen every day that include requests. My level of benevolence is kind of uh, directly tied to their level of uh, passion when they ask. How important it is to them. But isn't it weird how we talk to God and ask Him for stuff? Tyler has never come to me and said, Most Holy Father, would Thou grant me some benevolence from your hearty spirit. Would you please, please, please reach deeply into that wallet which resides in your back pocket and extricate some cash for me. Talk that way to me. You don't even know those words. I need money. I've got a date. Sums it up. I'm thinking he's going to get out of here and leave me alone. Here you go. <laughs> you know, that's how we ought to talk to God. Like we know Him. Like we're part of His family. Like we get the fact that He already knows what's in our heart. We don't have to clean it up. We don't have to talk to Him like we're holy. Anybody here use a different voice on church, in church on Sunday than you do the rest of the time? God, God made your voice. He knows that it's not that pompous. You see, the prayers that penetrate the heart of God are prayers that come from people who know and who are known by God. Who don't have to use words to impress but who are honest and genuine, who really care about the movement of God in their life. 
Jesus was praying this 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 prayer. He 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 knew what the plan had been all along. He understood what was about to happen. He understood the struggle and the pain. He understood that this strategy for redemption for every generation that would follow would require great sacrifice. But still, in that garden, as part man, part God, part human, part divine, Jesus said, God, is, is there a plan B? Is there anything that you might be able to do that would change these circumstances? Can I do it another way? Because here's what happens when we pray. I think all of us want God to move, but we want Him to do it in a way that keeps us comfortable without us having to change, without sacrifices. As soon as Jesus said, God, is there another way? Did you see what He said next? He said, God, it's Your will. It's what You want. That's important. I think the wisest among us understand that concept, don't you? I think if, if you really know the heart of God and the intent of God and, and, and how He wants what's best for you, even in the valleys of life, the struggles of life, even bearing the burdens of life, even when called upon to sacrifice, you know that the pain that you'll endure will be worth the results on the other side. So Jesus prayed maybe the most dangerous prayer that any of us can ever pray. God, it's what You want. It's Your will, not mine. I think we say that way too casually, don't you? Don't you think that? God, it's Your will because being in the will of God will sometimes take us to places that we never wanted to go. Being in the will of God will, will cause us to have to sacrifice and some surrender things that may be very valuable in our life. It will cause us to have to come to understand that difficult changes in our lives must be made. We want the will of God because we know that the will of God is best for us, but sometimes when we ask for it and don't live it out, it's because the will of God requires a lot of willpower. Doesn't it? it has a lot to do with that. How many of you started dieting January 1? Anybody but me? Some of you should have. I'll just tell you that right now. Amen? Don't look at anybody. Don't look at anybody. Now, I, I, that was the, my, I, I'm going to do it. January 1. I, and then January 3rd, the willpower got carried away with a piece of coconut pie or two or three. Uh, it's just tough, isn't it? Listen to this truth. You cannot live in the will of God without discipline and a strong willpower. Because the enemy is aggressive. The enemy is a deceiver. He's tricky. And he knows how to get you where he wants you. He knows your weak part. He knows where you're most easily and you cannot live in the will of God and not make changes in your life. You cannot live in the will of God without discipline and a strong resolve to walk with Him. And it's interesting what He said to the disciples. He, he walked back and he, and he literally said this, if you guys don't have the willpower or the resolve to stay up and pray, then your heart and your mind 
is a sanctuary for the devil. See that? You'll be easily tempted. Is that true in your life? Because here's, here's a, a common thread, a very simple and yet powerful truth if you think about it. You're either going to have a prayer habit or a sin habit. One of those two things is going to monopolize your life. Now, church is awful quiet today, and I guess that's good because you're listening or you're sleeping or something, but you're either going to have a prayer habit or a sin habit, amen? And you're in one of those places, one of those two places right now. Either your life is marked by prayerful concern, it might even be marked by the intensity by which Jesus prayed, or or, or very simply, you know that you're close to Him now, that you're communing, that you're talking, you're listening, you're walking the walk and following Him. It's a prayer habit. Or else you're one step from disaster. You're allowing Satan to keep you from listening to God, from opening your heart to God, and trouble Satan. Either have a prayer habit or a sin habit. And if you're not communing with God, then you're opening yourself up for all sorts of junk. What Jesus said. I think there are those of us who, unless there's something critical and crucial in our life, unless there's impending disaster, uh, a crisis, our prayer life isn't much. It's almost like these tougher things come into your life so you'll learn how much you need to talk to God. You ever thought about the fact, though, that every single part of your life, every last detail, every hair on your head, that's what God said, matters to Him. You're a parent today. Do you get frustrated by the lack of communication between you and your children? You, you want details of what goes on in their life, so much so you spy on them from time to time, right? Amen? But they don't want to tell you much. Imagine that if every detail of your child's life matters to you, how much more so every detail of your life matters to God. He wants to talk to you a lot. He wants to share life intimately with you. You see, when Jesus fell to His knees in Gethsemane, when He cried those tears of blood, when His heart was broken in anger, Because he was so close to his father. I think those same things were happening in heaven, don't you? Every detail. Over and over again in the passage that we read in in that prayer, in, in the description of what was happening that night, that night when history changed we see that word watchful in the words. Jesus kept begging His disciples to wake up, to be watchful. Because Jesus knew something that all of us know but sometimes forget, that when we are watchful and alert, when we're in prayer, when we're in communing with God, when, when, when there's that intimacy and closeness, when, when our heart is open, that the promptings of the Spirit. So let me tell you this. 
if you're not receiving what we're going to call here today promptings of the Spirit, they can be anything from a vision to a dream to a holy unction to just knowing in your head that God is telling you something. Some people even hear His voice. But if you're not feeling something, a purpose, a plan, a place to go, a person to see, an activity, a choice, a decision, a prompting from the Spirit, then I'm not sure you're praying like you should be. I'm not sure you're listening like you should be listening. Because I believe God uses His people to carry out His will and His way, and He will always direct our path. Just as He very clearly said to Jesus, just up on the hill, this is where you're going to die today. This cup is not going to be. Sometimes I think we're afraid to listen to God because we understand that we might have to sacrifice something. You ever stop and think that as Jesus prayed that prayer and God said, no, this has to happen. If Jesus would have been like us, Stubborn, obstinate, God, there's got to be a better way and I'll find it if you won't share it with me. And he didn't climb the cross. You ever stop and think about what your chances of heaven would be? You see, maybe for God to do something powerful in your family's life, you'll have to sacrifice it. For God to do something powerful at your job where you work, you'll have to sacrifice it. For God to, to, to change the culture of our community to one of faith, this church will have to sacrifice it. I've prayed a lot, and I've listened a lot. I've, I've stopped praying sometimes because sin got in the way and got drugged back by the Spirit. And, and when I have prayed with that kind of intensity, I have never heard God say, if you would just be a little more religious, if you'd just pretend play the game a little better. Then I'll bring glory and my kingdom to your life. If God would have wanted a religious display, He would have made the Pharisees His disciples, wouldn't He? He wanted sacrifice. Surrender. Don't go into a time of intense prayer with God without being prepared to give up something that might be very valuable in your life. I think I know why Jesus chose the men that He chose to be His disciples, and I think I know why He chooses us to further His kingdom. I think He looks for people who are sensitive to His Spirit. I think He looks for people who, 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 who want to know what He expects and wants in our life. I think He looks for people who've come to the realization, when I do it my way, it's a mess. But when I listen and am sensitive and obedient to the Spirit, Miracles happen. Healing happens. Life changes. Many, many times I've seen people who've 
who stand in this place during invitation time and, and they're sensitive to God's Spirit. In fact, later they'll tell me, I don't even know why I came forward. I just knew God wanted me to. They'll come to this altar. And invariably, someone who desperately needed God will see their act of sacrifice and that they broke the ice and walked the aisle and they'll come to it. But if God says come and you're not sensitive to His Spirit, maybe the miracle of salvation never happens in that other person's life. And maybe they spend eternity in hell because you weren't sensitive and obedient. You want to be used by God? You want to be a part of making miracles happen in this place and in your life? You want to be really used by God? Then study how Jesus prayed because God uses folks who spend time in Gethsemane. Who pray like Jesus prayed. Passion who desperately care about their state in life and about being impactful in others' lives. Do we have a normal church? Somebody tell me, do we have a normal church? I think we're a little crazy, a little weird. Go with that. But in some ways, there's some normalcy here. It's not in me. We come, we kind of do pretty much the same thing every week, don't we? Hopefully you're in a Bible study group or small group, connection group. Maybe that happens on Sunday. In the other hour, we're in here. And we kind of do the normal things every week. In fact, if, if we do something a little normal, I get cards and letters. Or a little less than normal. You know, we change it up a little bit. We have a routine, don't we? We sing usually three songs. We've got them timed out. They're supposed to go 14 and a half minutes. Pray. We give. Can't be Baptist without an offering, right? We ought to have two, so it could be really Baptist. You get a sermon. Those things didn't happen. It wouldn't be normal. It would be different. But let me tell you what I think we need to go from where we're at now to the next level where God desires that we as a church should be. I think we need a new normal. I want to hear and see evidence of Gethsemane prayer lives. I want to see people whose heart burn with passion for the will of God to occur in their lives. I want to see people. I, I want it to happen in my own life where we cultivate a prayer habit that keeps Satan from finding an avenue into our lives. I want to see a church that is filled with expectancy about what God can do and will do. I want us to pray, to listen, and have that kind of passion as a congregation. I want us to expect God to bring people to Him every time we meet. I want us to come to understand what touches God's heart is this great overwhelming desire of His people to be intimate and obedient with Him. I want you to really wake up on Sunday mornings and care, care with all of your being about what God wants to do. Not just come here 
and see what happens and get worried if it's not normal. I want you to think miracles. You see the difference, guys? Because here's what I'm afraid happens. We've got one foot in church this morning. We've got the other foot in the world. We're glad to be here, but we were glad to be somewhere we shouldn't have been last night. We've got one foot in faith believing that God can do something and another foot in skepticism wondering if He's even listening. We've got one foot in Christ and the other foot in the world. We've got one foot in obedience and another foot in rebellion. We're halfway there. Never quite nowhere. We're too Christian to enjoy the world. Matter of fact, we look at the world and say, we're glad we're not like them. We look at the world and say, I'm glad my life is not marked with that level of sin and debauchery while we ignore what level we're at. Christians feel really good about themselves when they make comparisons, don't we? We're too Christian to enjoy the world because we know we don't really fit. I know you just finished your notes, but look up here right now because I want you to hear this. All right? No more to write. I'm not going to say anything else that you need to write down, but I'm going to talk to your heart right now. We're too Christian to fit out there somewhere. but we're too worldly to ever really enjoy the riches of our faith. To ever really pray like Jesus prayed that night. To ever completely sell out heart, mind, and soul. Maybe you're too worldly today to come to this altar and say, I can't be halfway in here. Too worldly to consider that kind of surrender or sacrifice. You see, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, His divinity and His humanity were in a battle, weren't they? And I think that happens here every Sunday. We want to embrace God. We want to be who He wants us to be. And yet there's something that keeps us in a place He never intended there's something that keeps us halfway in and halfway out. So do you want a new normal today in your life? Pray with passion. Draw a circle around yourself. Fall to your knees and mean what you say. Pray with desperation because Heaven can depend on you. Pray prayers for those whom you love because you don't want to see them miss out on God's grace. Pray and then surrender. Believing with certainty and clarity that God wants the best for you. Don't allow Satan to rob you of the chance to touch heaven. Don't let him keep you from God's best. Don't leave here today with an unresolved struggle or brokenness in your life. Because God brought you here to tell you that he wants to heal you and to save you. Every detail. God already has a rescue plan for you. Don't be afraid to embrace it. This altar 
It's a holy place. This sanctuary is a holy place because God's Spirit in all of its power is at work. Listen. Sense. Be obedient to the Spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you that you can do what we cannot. Thank you that that you chose us to be instruments of your salvation and grace. Thank you that you climbed the cross, that you bore our pain, that you gave us an avenue of salvation. Thank you that sin doesn't define us. Thank you that our, our, our failures and our mistakes and our Apathy can be swallowed up in your salvation, covered by your blood. And Father, this time of invitation is an it's a time to move from normal to powerful. It's a time to move from the status quo to the miraculous. It's a time to move from not being sure where we're headed to the assurance of heaven. It's a time for your glory to be seen by this congregation. May that happen right now, God. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? God's asking you to come. That spirit's tugging at your heart. Don't be foolish. Be obedient. It'll be worth it. It will be worth it right now. Come to the altar. Come share communion. Come be obedient to God. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now. What could I do?
what could I say? What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Yeah, what could I say? What could I I uh, remember learning about the Garden of Gethsemane as a child. Actually having, years later, the opportunity to visit the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of these negative feelings about that place swirling around in my head. It's a place where, where Jesus cried blood. It's a place where His disciples slept through His prayer. It's a place where He was arrested. The whole process of his death began. But you know today when I think about Gethsemane, you know what I think? It was the place where God and Jesus determined my salvation. Toughest prayer a man could pray. The greatest gift a man could give were hatched there. My prayer is that just once in your life, you have a moment like that with God where your destiny changes and where miracles occur as a result of your sacrifice.